that emotional 14 second mark or less. And that's when you had hook, line and sinker. And I mean, a, a, an easy exercise is just walking them all and, and look at how many people really love their sales job or are they just doing it for the paycheck? Uh, and you'd be so, I, I meet maybe one person at some point that really loved their job. And of those one people, one, one, that one person, maybe the other people ridicule them because, oh, look at that person, always happy, happy, something's wrong with that person. But that person just loves that job. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a Winnipeg boy, that's where I grew up. You are now listening to Stability Podcast, brought to you by Hasnashra. This week's episode is sponsored by Relief. Please check our Instagram at Stability Podcast to enter our giveaway with Relief. Thank you. Now, here's the following episode. This is Sunil Godse, and I'm founder and CEO of Intuitionology. And what I basically do is help people really kind of get unstuck when it comes to their relationships. Right. Um, and uh, the reason why that happens is because they ignore this thing called intuition um, that really has them establishing relationships with people that have, you know, that have been giving them bad advice in the past or trying to prove something to somebody else or what have you. And what happens is you become stuck in that advice and you don't really necessarily look at who you are mm-hmm. and there's this thing called intuition that it actual uh, it, when i did the research it takes 14 seconds to really kind of get unstuck and the reason why people don't get don't get unstuck is because they don't understand what intuition is and so what i did is i took a deep dive into understanding truly what intuition is so going away from talking about well i get this gut feeling or I hear a voice or what have you um, to actually really understand why we ignore it. And when we understand why we ignore it, then we can apply it when it comes to relationships. And all of a sudden you surround yourself with those who are really moving your life forward. And that's the secret to success from my opinion. What, what do you mean you took a deep dive into intuition? Like what did you learn about it once you took this deep dive into intuition? Yeah, so the, the origin of this really came from, surprisingly enough, we have this this in, this you know intangible woo-woo thing called intuition, but it really came from my first book called Fail Fast, Succeed Faster. And the premise of that book was that if you were to listen to the failures of other executives or, or entrepreneurs, then theoretically, if you didn't repeat those mistakes, you can basically succeed faster. Uh, and so when I used to st- speak on stages around the world with that book, one one question I kept getting asked was, okay, Sunil, what's the one thing that is going to lead me to absolute success? And so I used to roll my eyes and say, listen, I didn't come here with like a cue card or a PDF sheet. You know, this is a 400 page book, uh, like golden nuggets of things that where people have failed uh, until I went back to the audio recordings. And when I went back to the audio recordings, 80 to 90% of the close to 300 business executives all use some version of, I should have trusted my intuition. I should have trusted my gut. I knew what the right decision was, but I ignored it. And so that was really interesting to me to say, okay, that's really fascinating. So these business executives who you think are, you know, data-driven and process-oriented are really kind of, uh, you know, using intuition as basically their hooks to say, I ignored it. And therefore that's what happened. And so when I reflected back on the times where I ignored my intuition, it was very, very clear, like, you know, and, and I'm South Asian, as uh, you can see for yeah. those watching. And so there's really kind of four career doors um, that you kind of go go into, doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure. 
And I ended up taking door number three, which was engineering, even though something at that time was telling me, don't go into engineering, you, you need to be an entrepreneur. Right. And that, that entrepreneurial mindset really kind of came, if you think about intuition and guiding you to do what you're doing. I remember at five years old, there were these video games that my dad, uh, that I wanted to buy. My dad said they were too expensive. And yet this distinct voice told me, Sunil, go door to door to raise money. That was it. And so I followed that voice. I, I went door to door, lots of milk and cookies, and I raised $200. $100 went to my dad for the video games. And uh, these are this is back in the 70s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. And another $100 went to charity, uh, which because I felt good about that. So that seed of entrepreneurship was always very young. And if I reflect back on all the breadcrumbs that I had in terms of some formal sale that you need to you need to move away. Uh, but what was keeping me was my emotional connection with my dad, because I knew something terrible would happen if I just told him I'm leaving engineering and going into entrepreneurship, which he couldn't even pronounce. Uh, and so I, I did. I, I, I made the decision year three, and that broke our relationship for a number of years. But I was doing something I was so happy doing. You, you quit engineering in year three? In year three, yeah. Year three of not school, of, of, yeah. of practice. So oh, I finished practicing. My, okay, practice. okay, okay. Yeah, so I became, I got my engineering degree. And then when right. I went into practice, year three, and it was funny enough, year three was also the pinnacle year that you get your PNG. Of course, yeah. And, and so so I either had to get my professional engineering designation yeah. or not. It was a binary decision. No, and, I get um, that. I, I'm yeah. in the same boat. Like I'm, I'm mechanical engineering, aerospace. That's what I'm studying right now in school. Second year, still going yeah. through it, you know. And yeah. you know the one thing that you're, you're talking about, you know, how you said, oh, you got your engineering degree and like you did it because your dad told you to do. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you, like after exploring, because I've been taking these conversations to a whole new level right i'm trying to bring them into my life because i feel like that entrepreneurial spirit i wasn't at that level of like oh i'm gonna go door to door and sell stuff i've always had this idea of creating something of my own yeah i never knew what it was what it could be so the thing with me was the fact that you know when i was younger and even now a lot of people will not take my word for anything I'm not talking about just kids my age. I'm talking yeah. about adults, you know? You sit down and have a conversation with someone. I'm not, I'm not just talking about my parents. I'm talking about anyone, right? You can talk to yeah. a professor or something. They will never take your word for it. Why? Especially at 20 years old, 19, 21, 22. You're too young. You don't have any education. What professional degree do you have to tell me, a person with a PhD, what is right or what is wrong or what I could be doing to help my business to be successful, right? What business degree do you have, right? So Mm. I'm not going to lie to you. Like it it looks like a drag. Like I'm sure you went through it, right? Engineering is not an easy thing. You know, it's a five years of absolute hell, you know, and it's not easy. And I'm going, and you know, while also working on the side and doing all this other stuff that that you're passionate about, a lot of people in your class are just going to be studying, right? They're just going to be narrow-minded. You know, I'm going to become an engineer, get my PN, get a really nice job, you know, nine to five, whatever it becomes. And I'm going to be successful. That is one way of, the one thing that, you know, during these episodes I've done, that thing that really bothers me is that really came to light was the fact that Someone told me was, you know how your parents, especially from South Asian culture, where all they're all like study, study, study. I mean, like Asian culture, just in general, anywhere in Asia, yeah. you can go. It's the same thing, right? It's like study, study, study. If you get good grades, you'll be successful. It's like okay, it's like okay, I get good grades in high school. Great. What about it? Oh, now you go to university, get good grades, you'll be successful. So they're t- telling, keep studying, and then you'll get a job. Then there's something in between, than success. They don't tell you what's in between. They just say get a job success 
a yeah. job does not guarantee success. There's so many times, especially with COVID, let's think about it. Yeah. People that had really good jobs lost them. Now, what are they going to do? What do mm-hmm. they, they don't have anything to fall back on. Mm-hmm. No, they, they didn't have any other schooling for anything. All they knew was how to be an engineer. All they knew was how to do that one job. They don't have any side hustles. They don't have properties. They didn't invest in anything. They don't have anything to stabilize themselves. They have to rely on the government now. You know, they have to rely yeah. on someone else to help support them through this tough time till they can get a job again, which kind of sucks. Don't get me wrong, but that's the reality of it. And the one thing that I've learned, you know, you mentioned that, you know, I, you wish you had like dropped engineering and did entrepreneurship instead, right? The one thing that I've come to realize, and I'm happy I did is that I will get my engineering degree. I will get my MBA, not because of the fact that, oh, you know, I need it. It's more the fact that I want to get it. So people take me seriously. So people take my words in the business world, in the engineering world, or in any kind of world more seriously, because they know I'm educated. They know what I'm saying has some backing to it. You know, I don't know what your opinion is on that, but I think that was the one reason why I was happy, you know, to continue, keep doing this until I can get my degree. Yeah, so so you have to be very, very careful when it comes to the letters behind you to be taken seriously. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who um, they use those markers as a symbol of some type of success. Yet when you talk to those people who have those markers, the vast majority of them are incredibly unhappy. Uh, and so they go on this mantra about, um, you know, how old you need to be and the nut letters that you had. Uh, so, I mean, right after I quit engineering to go into entrepreneurship, uh, you know, I'm on, I'm an investor with this restaurant. I was one of the youngest ones as an investor and age does not necessarily matter. But then I started finding out ventures that I really wanted to get into. And the key thing when it comes to doing business or any kind of anything in your personal life is that relationship. And so when you have a business idea uh, or a venture idea that makes sense to other people and you hit them on an emotional level, they're going to trust you with the idea. And the research that I looked at, and we'll get into the research uh, with intuition, but it's, it's is in, on average 14 seconds. And in 14 seconds, you got to believe that person because what he or she is telling me in terms of what they're selling is exactly solving a problem for me. And that's the emotional hit that you need. It has nothing to do with the letters behind your name. I've got so many other uh, friends of mine and family and other people who've got letters and I would never trust them with my money whatsoever because they're, they're not entrepreneurs. They don't have that drive in them. They're not pursuing anything. Uh, and, and if you think age and letters need mean something, I mean, if you look at the, the pictures behind me, those are my daughter's paintings. Uh, she, uh, she, she went to India and got inspired by people she's been an artist since she was four and people with no arms and so you know she says dad i need to do something look how these people with disabilities and illnesses being treated Uh, i need to do something and for me it says okay it's got to come from you which is my signal that it's it's got to be intuitively led and i'm not gonna be that formal with my daughters right i've got two and six months later she says i know i know what i want to do and i said okay tell me and so she says i'm going to paint i'm going to raise some money uh, I'm going to put up pop-up events where people can uh, come and express themselves. I'm going to invite people with disabilities and illnesses uh, and uh, express themselves all because of me. And so I basically I said, are you really sure? Because obviously there's time commitments and things like that. And she goes, yeah. And so the very next day we opened a, an official Canadian federal nonprofit corporation. A couple of months later, she had a fundraiser. Target was $2,500. She raised over $5,000. Wow. We even had someone from uh, Scotland on FaceTime looking at originals. 
all her originals were gone in the first hour of a three-hour event. Um, a couple of months later, she had her pop-up event. She had big brothers, big sisters. She had uh, people with Down syndrome. She had people in, in, with accessibility issues come. And, and this is where I talk about passion and purpose. She had one fellow come in who had cerebral palsy. And he says, come here, come here. Sorry, a Parkinson's disease, pardon me. Uh, cerebral palsy, I just learned what that is because I had an episode, two episodes ago, his name was Jacob and he was a person of cerebral palsy and he was talking about his amazing story about that. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, a great tie. But yeah, so this one, so he had, uh, pardon me, it was Parkinson's disease. And so he had shown up and he said, uh, uh, my daughter's name is Avni. He said, Avni, come here. Let me show you what, what this event is doing for me. And he starts, he, he's, he's actually picking up his brush. And if, for those watching, his left arm was just shaking violently. And he puts his paintbrush down into the paint. And then he starts to paint on the canvas and his left arm stops shaking. And he goes, this is what your event is doing for me. Thank you so much. And since 2019, when she officially opened the business to now, she's raised over $30,000 and she's 14 years old. Wow. So age does not matter. Your numbers or letters or how many letters you have behind you does not matter. When you're driven by a purpose, which is truly through intuition, that's when those people that are going to support you are going to come out of the woodwork. And those that don't, that's their issue, right? That's not your target market from a business perspective. But when you have a solid purpose, you know what you're doing, you're changing people's lives, which products and services need to do. And that's the messaging. There's something I call intuitive branding that happens. That's your brand, how you're perceived. And I will trust you within 14 seconds, 14 seconds. Somebody's going to trust a product, a service, a brand working somewhere. That's all it takes. And if you don't trust within that 14 seconds, then you go from a 3D to a 2D, you're a statistic. So if I'm, an, if I'm an employee and I don't trust my managers and I don't trust that company, they've got false sense of core values, I'm looking, so, I'm, I'm, I'm looking somewhere else. And you're a statistic now. I'm not gonna give you my 100%. I'm not gonna give you that productivity. Yeah, of course I'll work the eight hours, of course. But on the other side, I'm also on uh, you know, monster.com looking for a job. I'm on Kijiji, mm -hmm. wherever you go look for a job. Because you don't care for me, I don't care for you. That's how quick it is. I have a question. You know, you're talking about how your daughter did something. That's incredible, by the way. Congrats to her. And the thing is that she had backing from you. You know, you you were there to support her. Now, yeah. take a child who's 14 years old. I'm telling you, I'm personally speaking. I grew up in a yeah. small uh, household in a small town in Manitoba. Like Manitoba, of all places, there's no backing for a, a colored child. Like, you know, and another issue is like, you know, my parents are new to the country. Like, you know, they don't realize what's happening. They don't have any of like this kind of concept. And plus, you know, you don't want to stand out because of the fact that you're, you're the only colored kid in this whole town and all this, you know, stuff, you know. It's great, but there's opportunities in different places. You know, you your daughter got lucky. I'm not saying her idea was amazing, but she had you. You know, you were there to support her. You know, with her idea, and you're like, you know, I'll help you along the way. But I don't think I think a lot of people don't realize is there's a lot of talent sitting in a lot of different places. But I think yeah. what needs to be taught in school. You know, I'm not I'm not dissing school's education system. It is a little bad, but it's you know it gets the job done. But we're not taught this in school. You know, there's a yeah. lot of kids and sitting in classes that have pure talent for a lot of things, selling, you know, coming up with ideas, creativity. They're just sitting there. They have these ideas, passions. They get bored by school. They have all these things, you know, they're going through their head is spinning. Who's backing them? You know, like yeah. who's helping them come up with these ideas? You know, you're, 
luckily, you know, there's some people with their parents that can help them and that your parents are your biggest support when you're younger. But if your parents aren't there to help you pursue, uh, pursue your ideas and how are you supposed to do that as a 14 year old? How are you supposed to do that as a 12 year old? How are you supposed to do that as a 16 year old? Not until you get to be 18, do you get the right to do whatever you want in Canada? You don't get the right to, you know, I have a credit card now. I'm going to buy stuff. I'm going to start building things. I'm going to start putting things together. When I'm 18, I can sign things off. I can do this. I can, you know, at 18 years old in Canada, technically speaking for a lot of kids, 18 is the earliest they can start doing anything. You know, they don't have the abilities to get that knowledge when they're younger. And it's kind of sad. It's because, oh, they've had this kind of like stuff they're learning from the internet, but they'll never be able to do anything until they're of, of, they're of age, basically, because they don't have the ability to sign off on something. Yeah. And and so in that case, so, so one of the things I tell with, when it comes to my daughter, Avni, and and now my Mm -hmm. youngest who's nine, Divya is actually wants, wants to start into uh, to some kind of business that she started a couple of weeks ago, just doing um, uh, these bookmarks. And so she wanted to raise a hundred bucks and within three days she had 50 in her hand, Um, you know? And so the thing that I, as a parent, what I do is, is I let Avni and Divya, the, the only the only thing I say is, first of all, you don't let anybody tell you you can't do anything. Age is no barrier. Uh, and um, marks are okay, but it, it's the improvement you want. And when I when I give them decisions to make, it's really got to come from them. So I can give them a bit of guidance. Like my wife and I will give them some guidance, like, you know, be humble and stuff. What really lights you up? Uh, what makes you? Because in Avni's case, it was really about, you know, helping those people with disabilities and illnesses. Uh, and then her figuring out in the next six months how she can do that with Divya, it's, it's like she got into bookmarks and she, and you know it's really about why you want to do that and she really wanted to help somebody from a children's hospital so there was a story around that and then she thought this was the best way to do it um, and I said okay and so what she and, and what in fact what Divya learned is that she had like four friends uh, who wanted to join and I said okay if you if you want to make this official I have to have to chat with their parents to make sure that this is okay mm-hmm. three of the the uh, her friends lied, said, yeah, I told my parents said, okay. And I said, well, I need to actually talk to them. And obviously three of them said, no, 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 you're pressuring me too much. And so I just told Divya, here's a, here's a moment of, of clarity for you is that when you go into business with your friends and family, uh, sometimes it doesn't work out because you need everybody on the same page. You've got, you've raised 50 bucks so far in, in a couple of days and she has one person left. How many people, how many, how much money has that person raised? Nothing. And has that person ever asked anybody? No. Okay. So then why are you holding the ball in this whole whole thing? And well, she's nice. Okay, she's nice. What's your goal? Hundred bucks. How much did you contribute? Fifty. How much does she contribute? Zero. Okay. So how nice is she? In from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she goes, Well, yeah, from a business perspective, she hasn't helped at all. And I said, Yeah, so it doesn't mean that you can't have a friend. You just need you you need somebody at that same level as you who's gonna uh, help you move to your goal, which is in your case hundred. Uh, right. And so now the next this, goal is thousand. This is what I mean, right? This is the advice that we're not going to get as a person whose dad or parent or someone who in their life isn't someone who's gone through it, right? Yeah. Like, you know, this as a person of like, you know, empower or not empower, but a person who's been through it yourself, you know, yeah. finding co-founders, finding people that you can rely on in a business. You've yeah. just taught your daughter a lesson that she will remember for the rest of her life. Because if you hadn't taught her that lesson down the line, when she was 20, 22, starting her first official business and was looking for people to partner with, she was going to partner with the wrong people. She was going to partner with people that she thought were nice and would help out, but were just sitting back and enjoying 
all the effort your daughter's putting in, right? That's just like a group project, you know? You, you, you're a group project in school. You're like, I'm going to team up with my, you know, friends and, you know, we'll get the work done. But and at the end of the day, it's only one kid doing all the work, right? Everyone yeah. else is just sitting back and, you know, taking the reward for something that someone else did, right? And that's the thing. School doesn't teach you don't become friends. School doesn't teach you become, you know, do the project with people that you can rely on. School just yeah. teaches you. It's like, oh, you know, do whatever, you know, this is, this is out in front of you. And they say, we, te- we taught you the lesson. No, you didn't. You didn't teach no one, no lesson. If so- And school teaches you a little bit of stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it's the smart kids that realize, you know, they realize the people with the actual intuition realize it's like, oh, you know, this is what this meant. You know, this is what, yeah. unless, and a lot of the life, lessons come later for those people you know a lot of people learn these life lessons later on they don't have the guidance in early life you know and i think it's tough it is tough but i think everyone has their own timeline but what what, at the end of the day i think the main point of this conversation was you know what do you tell these children that you have these ideas and want to do something but don't have the backing of it you know like they don't have anyone there yeah. And, and this is the beauty of where, you know, being online is also really, really, uh, really good because you can kind of find out, you know, who you can align yourself with, who you can listen with, what kind of videos. And, and there's also the good and the bad and the ugly online. And so one of the good things about intuition is the way that it works. is if you look at your brain, like a subconscious, like a sorry, like an iceberg, the subconscious area of the brain is 90% underwater and the 10% is above. And so what happens is as you gain the experience, both good and bad, learning which is formal which is in through school and informal which are your what i call street smarts all that information every single day is being pummeled and put into your subconscious area like a library so even if you failed even if you've had the wrong partner even if you've gone through school and think you can't do anything or people have told you you can't or what have you you take all those things that you're that is in the subconscious area of your brain and when you're about to make a decision what happens your intuition pulls from that library and then gives you a signal. So the moment that you're aligning with someone that you've heard that before and you got, let's say you got snowed over by some marketing tactic and wasted time, the moment that you have some other personality that's very similar to that, your intuition is gonna go back in the subconscious area and brain saying, ah, 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 and it's gonna give you a signal to say, you've heard a charlatan like that before. Uh, and that's where that trust factor comes in because the way that intuition works, it's in a split second. Uh, and it gives you these signals, positive and negative, to say if it's positive, obviously you go with the decision uh, because something feels right. And and if if it's negative, obviously something is in the you've seen in the past, you've read about a business or you experienced it yourself or what have you. That's a red flag. And then your intuition is going to say uh, 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 something something somewhere uh, is not right. And even if it's just watching a video or watching something in marketing, is it something that's not really trustworthy about this person? That's when you need to move back. Uh, and there's a lot of people on social media doing it the wrong way as well. You know, so if they want to sell something, be yourself, right? Because I'm going to trust you to be yourself. And if you actually have something that's going to solve my problem, I have no problem sending you my money, right? And so that's where that honesty, authenticity piece has to come in. And so if you have an idea because you saw something where it got some money somewhere else that somebody else is selling that and it was successful, that's not your idea. And if you're trying to sell it, I immediately intuitively will know you're full of crap because I can sense that inauthenticity. And if I sense that inauthenticity, then I'm not going to buy from you. Uh, And then you've also got others that will buy from you, but it's not their time yet. Right. So they're still trying to figure you out. 
Uh, and so that's why it takes a couple of years maybe to bring your customers into what you want to buy. There's some people that will buy right from you. And, and a lot of people going into business, when they, the first thing they do is they get that big spike, which is their friends and family, which is fantastic. It's great for the, uh, for the bank account and it's good for your dopamine hit and your self-confidence uh, until you actually have to get real customers. And these are people that don't even know you. So if, you, if they don't know you, how are you going to convince them that you've got the goods that's gonna satisfy what they need. And that's in, in your personal relationships, right? Look at your friends, right? Who do you gravitate to? Who do you trust? Who do you sit back saying, ah, you know, there's something wrong about that person. It's great, we can go for coffee and, and we can invite them over and have, for the parties, but would you, you know, invest, would you give that person $5,000 to invest? You know, there's some level of trust that hasn't been built up yet, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's an ongoing thing. And so that's where your intuition comes really, really important. Uh, and this is all backed by science, right? So if you look at the way intuition uh, looks at, like even, you know, after I joined the the, uh, the restaurant, I didn't have any formal entrepreneurship backing. Yet, five or six ventures later, I was making twenty million dollars, close to twenty million dollars, by with the five or six ventures. I got into retail clothing, wholesale clothing, pop up events, entertainment company. Um, I was still earning dividends from the the restaurant. Um, and then I turned into becoming a management consultant, right? And then I started helping companies like SAP and Western Digital um, and uh, what's the, some of the bigger ones, OAO Technologies. Uh, these are huge, huge companies. Citibank was another one. And that's all because they trusted me to know that I would bring whatever I needed to the table. Uh, it's because you had that backing, right? You had that, you did, you went out there, you learned how the uh, product market, yeah. how the market worked, right? And you were able yeah. to provide results, right? And yeah. I get that, you know, in any idea that you do, especially when it comes to creating content, especially when it comes to making something, you yeah. know, you're a business and trying to make money off of that. Like my situation is kind of the same right now, right? I'm trying to see how I can expand you know, my product. How can I make yeah. more people listen to it? And then also like I'm putting in a lot of time. How do I bring in cash flow into sponsorship money? And how do I expand my project from this mm -hmm. to like real life, conversations, real life projects that I have, like all these ideas, how do I take that, you know? And we're speaking of intuition, right? You know, yeah. sometimes putting your money where your mouth is or putting where your money where your ideas are, mm -hmm. you know, your intuition says it's a good idea, but in reality, it's a bad idea. What would you say? Yeah. That? yeah. So your intuition is never wrong. Uh, and so, so what happens is what people sometimes substitute with intuition is that overhyped emotion or sense of ego. And I'll give you a very, very good case study. One of the uh, people I interviewed was a guy by the name of Mark Metry. He's got one of the top 100 podcasts on Apple iTunes uh, called Human Two uh, Humans 2.0. And he developed in high school, he developed social anxiety so much so that he almost took his own life. Wow. Um, and so when we started talking about intuition and sort of like I always start my podcast series with what's your definition of intuition? What are your signals? And then we get into a story. He started telling me about that story when he developed social anxiety uh, and him almost taking his, his life. But then when I when I when he, I let him finish that story and then what I told him is I said, look, if we were to reverse or sorry, we were to rewind the podcast to the point that you started telling me about your social anxiety. Uh, and when, so right after he said, intuition sometimes leads you down the wrong path or something to that effect, I'm paraphrasing it here. The very next statement he said was, I, I knew I shouldn't have lied, but, and it snuck in there so subtly. And so his intuition was basically telling him not to lie, but because he needed to fit in, 
he kept lying to be with the cliquey group, the popular people, the where the brands, whatever the case was, that was emotionally driving him so much so that there came a point where he didn't know who he was. And the only way for him to reconcile that was to almost take his own life. This was a guy that was making five figures in high school. He was already running, making five figures in high school as a business. And so this was not somebody that was, you know, uh, wasn't, I guess, successful, if you call that success, but he had the all markings from an external perspective of, wow, you got it all going on. But where intuition really works on is you can have everything that you're going on, but internally, if you're not happy with yourself, you're done, right? Because you can convince everybody else that you are, but guess what? They know you for your extrinsic motivation. They know you for, the, they would never trust you with their money. They're not going to tell you that. Right. And what happens is when you don't trust your intuition and do things that you really want, you're doing it for other people, uh, for for fame and money and, and maybe those letters or what have you, you're already going down an extrinsic path. I'll give you a very good case study of this. One of the guys I interviewed was the name of uh, his name is Bin Jang. He's he was actually a very famous international magician. Uh, and in 2016, this guy was speaking to 100,000 people a year uh, on 80 stages. And so he had the, the brand with the car. He had, a, he had a, a nice high rise downtown LA. He was living the life. So if you're, if you ever want to post Instagram photos, this is what you would post. And so in 2016, he was so lonely and he, he felt like crap. And he basically, his intuition was saying, you better figure this out before you're done. And so he actually goes to New Zealand. And he, he just tells his wife, actually, he says, I'm going to need, I, I got to figure this out for myself. And he goes there. And the first thing he does is that he starts putting up on the walls what his, uh, the values he thought were. Mm -hmm. And then he looks at this, wow, this is what my wife wants. This is what my son wants. This is what my manager wants. This is what, what the crowds want? want. This is what my bank account wants. Where's Vin? Where am I? And so he, he rips all these down. And then he puts up all the ones that he wanted. And what he thought was supposed to be cathartic, what he thought was going to be uplifting and energetic, he said was so frightening because for the first time in his life, he gave himself the permission to be him. And we go about in life, and this is where I was talking about early about relationships. We get so stuck running other people's uh, opinions. We are so stuck trying to prove something to somebody else that we don't trust ourselves. And 99% of people are living this way or they've had some kind of trauma. And this was frightening for him to give himself permission to finally live life. And he said, if I, if I need to even tell my wife I don't love her anymore, I'm gonna do that because that's what he needs to, to, to feel. That's him. And so he has this cathartic, frightening experience, goes back to LA. And he falls back to the same thing again. He goes back to the downtown LA, goes back to the same people, uh, you know, doing all the external stuff, feeling good from that perspective. And six months later, his parents came up from Australia and his mom pulls him aside uh, and said, and then she was, he was telling me in the Vietnamese, there's a saying that when you hang around squid, at some point you're going to get ink on you. And she goes, you are not my boy. And he said, I had so much ink on me. And so it was just his intuition said, you got to do it now. And so he, he and he did. He, what he did was that he cut, uh, he, he sold his, his uh, downtown LA uh, apartment, went to the suburbs, got a minivan, uh, you know, forgot the Porsche or whatever other huge car he was driving. And it was about living life. 
Uh, and one of the things I talk about is something called opportunity cost. And so, and, and it's funny enough, I learned that in engineering. Opportunity cost is um, for Vin, it was six months. So I told Vin, look, this was six months of your life that it's not just the six months that you didn't make the right decisions. It's actually also the six months that you lost because you didn't make the right decisions. And so opportunity cost, if you look at it from that perspective, you've actually lost a full year of your life. And if you're in the business of helping 100,000 people a year help their lives, how many people did you leave behind? How many people didn't you, leave, didn't you help? And he just said, Sunil, I've never, ever thought about it like that. And so when you ignore your intuition to make decisions, sometimes the decisions are unpopular, who cares? But when you don't take the time to listen to your intuition, when you don't take to figure out this complex thing called intuition, which is where the science comes in and the signals, you don't take time to do that. Unfortunately, you're making twice as much the mistake. And that's a slippery slope, right? And life passes you by. And then what happens is you regret five, 10 years later, you regret. But why wonder about five years later? Like, what about regretting what you didn't do today? Why wait five years to have that conversation? And so there's so many people that just don't take action on figuring this complex thing called intuition. And, I, and, and there's a statistic that I pulled from Harvard and from Gallup. Um, and so if you had a room full of 25,000 people and they've all had their hands up saying, I'm going to improve my life by either taking a course or getting some advice or getting some counsel, whatever it is, they're all in a room saying, I'm gonna do it. The number of people that actually take that step to get that advice or change their life is one, one out of 25,000. And I can let you know this because I've had uh, my, I have my free course, my seven day challenge. I've had over a hundred thousand people go through that in the six years that I've, that I've started this six, five years. And I can tell you not too many people complete it, which is sad. And these things sometimes are free. Right. I'm not even charging for that. And I, I, I went to a, a speaking event in Toronto and there were a couple of hundred people in the crowd. And this was all on this. They're already in this sort of it was on meditation and kind of that sort of thing. So they're all with the same intuitive vibe, if you want. They're primed for this the stuff that I'm, I'm talking about. They're already in that mindset. That's the same question. How many of you are actually going to you know, do my seven day challenge? Right. And 100% of the people Raise in that hand. 200 room what said they are. Uh, and I had one person because I told them the, the truth, the true value, what you actually say, the truth is going to come out. Not when you're here in front of me, putting your hand up. It's when you walk out the door and live life because you can front whatever you want here in the room and make me feel good and make everybody else feel good with your hand up in the arrow and, mm -hmm. and you know, trying to show everybody that you're the one with the hand in the air, which is ego. But once you walk out that door, what are you actually gonna do? One out of 200 pe people, and that one started the course. Didn't even, start, didn't even finish it. Wow. Just started the course. Wow. Yeah. And so these are people in mindset, motivation, moving their lives forward. They're already primed, right? And so, I mean, how many times have, uh, these are introspective things. How many times have you started something and you've never followed through on it? And I'm not that's asking normal. you just specifically. No, I think that's just normal right? for everyone, right? There's a lot but of. that's sad. 
Yeah. That's sad, right? And and part of failure, I mean, fear, failure and fear is our best friend. And if even if you go into neuroscience, when you fail, it, it teaches your intuition about something that you shouldn't have done. What lessons did you learn? And when you when you fear because you failed before, or you fear because it's in the unknown, or fear because nobody believes you, from a neuroscience perspective, you're actually your neurons are actually when you get into that fear state, they're actually ready and willing to start new neural pathways. But you got to take action. And when you don't take action, those neurons come back and they solidify back to the old, same old neural pathways. And until you break through that fear, and again, there's a difference between fear being a saber-toothed tiger and fear being this is what you need to do because some of the science with intuition shows that it hits your amygdala, the limbic system. That's the, that's the first part of your brain that gets lit up for any decision you make. So all it knows is fear, think, trust, do, not do. That's it. There's no capacity for language. So all you can do is either you have a saber-toothed tiger that's going to be eating you or it's not. And the difference between the two is an intuitive signal. If it's there's danger, you get a warning signal. And then you've got to figure out what that is for you. Because mine's going to be different than yours. This is where people have to spend the time figuring that out. Or if it's a positive signal, even though you're fearful, remember that subconscious area of your brain, your intuition's already said, hey, listen, sometime in the past, you've already got the skills to do this. This is why I'm giving you positive signals. Yeah, it's fearful. Yeah, maybe don't nobody believes you. Yeah, you've never done that type of business before, whatever the case is. But if it's a positive signal saying, take the step, then take it, right? And one a great example of this is uh, there's a fellow that I interviewed by the name of David Dame, and uh, he he had uh, uh, cerebral palsy. Now we're getting back to him. So he's had this um, all his life. And for many times, he's gone to, on a beach, uh, and he's just said, what if? What? Because he couldn't get out of his wheelchair. And the one chance he gets, he says, his intuition says, you got to do it. And he gets it. So he goes up, gets people to wheel him up to the edge of the sand and, and water barrier, because all he ever wanted was to, when he looked at what if, he says, I just want to feel the sand and water in my toes. And so now people are lifting him up and he falls flat on his face. Fear starts coming in. Embarrassment comes in. Comes in. And he says, Sunil, I have two choices at that very moment. And he says, I can succumb to that fear and I can go back to my wheelchair and sit right back and forever regret that I've never been able to turn that dream into reality. I am right physically here. Or I can listen to my intuition that's saying, David, take that first step. David, take another step. Come on, take another step. And he continues to go in the water and then the water gets up to his chin. He's pointing to his chin. Wow. And that's when he turns around and he was blown away by how far he came. So when you live your life on intuitive signals, you don't, this great to have goals, but don't think I got to get the Lamborghini or I have to look good or I have to have this. If you're going to be doing anything with that in mind, you're not living in the present moment. You're not listening to your intuitive signals. You're dead in the water. You're finished. And it's, it's constantly trusting the intuition in the present moment, forgetting about what happened in the past, forgetting the opinions of what happened. And you may still get opinions, you know, especially in the Indian community. What is that guy doing? He's so stupid, yeah. this, that. I don't give two hoots about what you think about what I'm doing. If I'm changing lives, that's 
what I feel good about. And I really don't give two hoots about what your opinion is. Right. And it's a shame that you have that kind of opinion. Mm-hmm. And if I was ever to even walk into that psyche of the inside of that other person, I'm sure there's a lot of, I wish I could have, I wish I should have. Uh, there's a lot of that, but they're afraid to, to say that they're afraid to show that because somehow that's weak or somehow it's not the Indian thing or somehow that's not what society wants. Oh, man, come on, like be yourself. Like, why are you so dependent on looking good? We're taught we're that's just, it's tough because in South Asian culture, you know, Asian culture, you're taught these kind of things at a young age. It's not even that you're taught physically taught. You just notice it, you know, especially, you know, I can't really personally say for myself, but once I got to the city, I noticed a lot of stereotypes against, uh, you know, yeah. Middle Eastern boys guys girls and i'm just like what is happening like i've never heard this you know they're like oh you know did you guys know that you know all indian guys love wearing the north face or they love wearing the canadian goose jackets they're getting the buzz cuts like drake i'm like that's not me i don't know like i i I couldn't tell you but it's like oh they only wear like branded clothing you know it's some stuff i heard right you know all middle eastern people only like wearing branded clothing because they won't wear anything else and it's like I don't wear branded clothes. Like, you know, it's something that I was so alienated to. But when I got to city, I was like, this is all just peer pressure. This is all just one guy coming to the community and it spread like wildfire. You know, that one kid has it. Oh my God, he has such a nice, you know, he's got a Camry, but he's got like a Porsche. I'm going to get a Porsche because of him. And, you know, people are just trying to updo everyone else, right? Like, it's like, oh, if he can do this, I can do it better. I've got more money. I can do this. And it, and it's sad, but I think it's changing a little bit personally from speaking because of this entrepreneurial world that's coming into play right now i've Mm -hmm. seen a lot more change i've seen a lot more people doing what they're passionate about you know but there is still that cultural background to it a little bit where people are like oh lawyer doctor you know engineer computer science those and those are the areas that are most packed by you know south asian people and it's it's kind of sad to see i'm like bro, you've talent in something else that you could go in and like be amazing at, but you know, they're like, Oh, but my parents this, you know? And it's like, Oh, I can't, but you know, the one thing I always tell, you know, my friends or people that I know you have an idea, like you said, intuition, just go with it, man. You know, it's something that I learned late, you know, I'm 20 and like, I just turned 20 recently. And I, the thing that I was most afraid of was always like, Oh, it won't succeed. You know, it's not going to do well, you know? And because of COVID I've had the opportunities because I've been at home, I've just taken that opportunity and I've started three different businesses. You know, I'm just right into it. Just like, do, do, do. And it's just like, I want to try, you know, this has been running for five months now, five months. And I've interviewed over 27 different people. And so it's like 27 different stories I get to hear. And you know, what's the one thing that's underlined in all of them, all these people that have achieved some kind of success or are going towards it, some kind of success, all have the same mindset. It's so unique to me that I've just been mind blown by it. All these people take the risk you know, you hear about it, you know, take the risk, you know, risk it for the biscuit, you know, or, and that saying comes in. And it's like, people have the same mindset, people from, you know, who've started and created a multi-million dollar company to people that are in between or people that are starting. It's always been like, you know, I just started it on a whim. You know, I started it because my intuition said I needed to, you know, like you said, int- I never realized how powerful intuition was, you know, yeah. after listening to how much statistics that you've said, I've realized and thought back to my life, the moments when I've had good intuition to start something, I've been more successful at it than the times that I didn't follow my intuition and went with 
logic, you know, the term of common sense and logic that we use all the time that parents tell you, oh, teachers tell you just use common sense. Common sense is not common sense. I've noticed that more times that I've used my logic, I mean, my intuition compared to my logic, I've been a lot more happier with my decision at the end. You know, I haven't been, I haven't been disappointed. It's because like, as, as it's what I wanted to do. It's what I was, my body, it's what my mind told me to do. I'm not going to stop that because I don't feel unhappy about it. You know, that's crazy because, you know, you're, you're mentioning about this intuition stuff because just thinking about that, just think about what makes you happy, right? A lot of people in this world thrive for happiness, thrive mm-hmm. for stability in their lives. And I've noticed, you know, like you said, making a logical decision is good, but making a decision with intuition this makes me happier. And I think it makes a lot of other people happier. Yeah. And the other thing it, that you have to think about is intuition. There is already logic and experience built into it, right? right. So what, when that signal comes, don't forget, it's it's all your experiences packed into that signal. So it's not something that's woo that's come from the cosmos and helped you. And it's just like the luck of the draw and you're rolling dice. There's a lot of, and the more experience you gain, the more it's going to learn from Right. And so for those people, again, opportunity cost, but those who are worrying about what brand somebody else is, is um, think of wearing and need to say something like that. Like, why even make it, why even paying attention to that? Why don't you just pay attention to do something you want in that same time? Remember opportunity cost, the same time you're thinking about, uh, you know, what somebody else is wearing and, and, and preaching that to everybody else. It's the same time you can, you can think about what can I do to better this world? What can I do to help uh, improve someone else's life? And, and so in that same exact moment, uh, you, you can do one of two things, right? And then r- when you talk about risk, risk is defined those b- by people who are riskless. So if you do are, they're doing something using them as a normal benchmark, then it's risky. But what if you were doing something that was normal for you? Then they would be riskless. They would be lazy. Right. And a lot of times we use these cliches or these these words where the norm is outside of, us the norm is put on by either some word or some saying and it's 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 not about that it's it's i don't look for approval for anybody to do what i'm doing if i'm trusting my intuition i do it if it seems risky that's your definition if you think it's stupid that's your definition if it's a waste of time that's your definition that's your marker Right. right it's not mine right and so is it a waste of time well I've affected close to a hundred thousand people on just in my intuition knowledge project alone, let alone, not even counting the number of people who bought stuff, uh, clothes or, 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 or their lives have been improved by what I've done in the past, not by the companies that have hired me and become more efficient and are able to deliver better goods and services to their customers. I haven't even counted that. So before you tell me, uh, you know, that what I'm doing is a waste of time and is stupid and all that, what are you doing? Right. When you're giving, give me that, that piece of advice, what have you done? And I can tell you, I don't think, I don't think anybody will be telling you about that. And obviously I'm very passionate about that because one of the things that I tell my, my daughters is don't ever let anybody tell you uh, what to do and what not to do. And it was really, I guess, a cathartic moment for me is, and so Avni on top of when her, her nonprofit, she also has her own podcast series. So she's now into like she's into number 30. Um, she does all the back end work. She does all the coloration. She works at Adobe Premiere. She uploads it on Libsyn. She uploads her website. She's doing all the back end stuff herself. And one of the, now she's getting on podcasts because people are finding out more, more, more about her. 
And one of the things that she was saying, because I usually sit beside her out, out of view of the camera. And um, one of the things I remember her saying, like, how can you do something like this, right? And you're just 14, you're in high school or in, in uh, junior high. We're well, not even junior high. She's in grade eight. Um, and people say, why would you do that? And so a couple of things she says is that, well, I'm, I'm 14 and I'm a girl, but what does that matter? Uh, you know, if I'm really helping, I want to help somebody. Age doesn't matter. My gender doesn't matter. And what my dad always says is, don't worry about the naysayers. And I was floored because we don't formally talk about that. Yet that advice that kind of is through, not just through me, but through the podcast interviews that she listens to on my podcast and the stories I tell her of the other people we talk about, um, it's, it gets her to think, right? And so when it gets her to think, it just gives her that level of confidence. Uh, and she's pretty, you know, she's pretty meek and mild and very, very humble at what she does. Humility is a big, big part of what she does. And it's something my wife and I uh, teach her about. Right. Uh, and, but if you look at, you know, my, my nine-year-old, but she was eight, like she's got a different personality. And I remember at the, at the fundraiser, we had this raffle ticket. And so everybody coming in, this eight, my eight-year-old Divya would just run up to them and say, listen, my mom's over there with some raffle tickets. It's one for 10, three for 20. So I suggest you get your wallet out and buy some raffle tickets just to support Didi, which is her sister yeah. in, 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 um, in Hindi. Um, yeah. And, uh, uh, and, That's cute. Uh, and that, and then she runs away and then she turns around and says, oh yeah, oh, and by the way, welcome. Right? So she raised over a thousand dollars just from the raffle alone. Uh, this is an eight-year-old kid. That That is something, you know, an eight-year-old kid shouldn't be doing. You know what I mean? Like that is, is that is this personality. There's a lot of eight-year-old kids out there that, you know, eight, nine, 10, that they have that kind of abilities. You know, that's teaching someone that people, companies spend hundreds of thousands of dollars teaching their employees how to be door-to-door salesmen. She just yep. did that at eight, probably more eight. effectively than people that do it, go door to door knocking, you know, because yep. they don't have that confidence, that passion for it. So no one's going to buy from them. It's like, oh, dude, you don't even like your job. You're just yep. here and trying to teach me with a bland face yep. and stuff. You don't even, why would I buy from you? You said intuition, 14 seconds, you know, that that's yep. something that I'm going to think about the next time, you know, I'm calling out for sponsorships and stuff. It's, mm-hmm. you know, that first 14 seconds, if I can't get them to guarantee that I am the person to trust, I'm the person that they want in the first 14 seconds, I know it's a hopeless cause because the moment those yeah. first 14 seconds are gone, they're going to be like, uh, I'm sorry, we're busy. We don't have the money. But if the first 14 seconds I'm have them they're gonna be like oh wow i'm really interested you know tell me more you know send me an email send me something let's talk about this let's have a conversation you know and i've had that with people right in the first 14 seconds you know when i was looking for my first ever engineering co-op jobs you know i i called cold called everyone you know i'm cold calling people day in day out i'm asking hey you know i'm this second year mechanical engineering looking for co-op you know i just need an opportunity just give me a chance the one i got the lady, I had the lady in 10 seconds. She was like, wow, you, I just love your enthusiasm, the way you came in, the way you presented yourself. Let's talk. Yep. It was in the, within the first 10 seconds, she was interested in listening. Yep. Where in the other conversations, I was like, hey, you know, I'm an engineering co-op. They'd be like, oh, we're sorry. We're, you know, we're packed. We don't have anyone. We don't have anything available. I noticed that they started zoning out. Even over the call, you can listen. If someone's entertained or someone is like focusing in or zoning in, I just knew they zoned out. After the first yeah. like five seconds, they were like, I'm not interested already. You just knew they were going to say no. Yeah, and exactly. In that first 14 seconds, you have to really catch them on what they value, right? And so what are you going to bring that's going to bring value to them? So for that, for that lady, uh, you know, it was about hiring someone that has that same culture that she wants. And that's the first thing that's going to hit her emotionally. It has 
nothing to do with your resume, your qualifications, but immediately you touched her that emotional 14 second mark or less. And that's when you had hook, line and sinker. And I mean, a, a, an easy exercise is just walking them all and, and look at how many people really love their sales job or are they just doing it for the paycheck? Uh, and uh, you'd be so I, I meet maybe one person uh, at some point that really loved their job. And of those one people, one, one, that one person, maybe the other people ridicule them because, oh, look at that person, always happy, happy, something's wrong with that person. But that person just loves that job. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a Winnipeg boy. That's where I grew up. Um, and so one of the places I, I, um, I worked was Tip Top Tailors in St. Patel Mall. Yeah. And I had zero sales background. Uh, and my brother was actually working at Tip Top up in a place called Polo Park. It's another uh, shopping mall. And so he taught, he had the manager uh, at uh, St. Patel store say, yeah, I'll, you know, uh, come on in. We're looking for people. Uh, and I was doing my engineering at the same time, at University of Manitoba. And um, uh, and uh, so I basically went into tip top with no uh, sales skills, but I knew how to develop relationships. And within, I'd say about a year and a half, um, there was somebody that was uh, another employee was saying, hey, Sunil, your name's in the bathroom. And it's like, ha, 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 that's pretty funny. And he goes, no, that your name's actually in a magazine that Dilex, which was the parent company at the time, looked at the top dollar per hour and you were third highest in Western Canada. And, and I said, really? And I went. And to me, those markers are great. But if I, what I looked at, it was not necessarily that's a great I mean, ego boost, but I looked at why. And the reason why is because I had relationships with customers that end up becoming repeat customers because of stuff. I knew what they wanted. I knew how to greet them. I, and so I had one CEO. Um, I remember him coming in on a Saturday. It was so busy uh, and he wanted the one suit. I know he liked all new suits and new suits always had the highest margin on them. Came out of 400, 450 bucks and the cost for them were, were I don't know, hundred bucks or something like that. Um, and so that's all he wanted. And I said, Hey, listen, I know what style you like. This is the second time here I've served you. Why don't you come in on a Wednesday, which is dead. Uh, I know that the exact days the new lines come out, I'll set you three and I'll, I'll put shirts and ties together and a belt and what have you. And uh, you know, then you're okay, right? And then you, don't, you come in and 10 minutes you're done, right? I know how to, I know how to fit you. This guy, every single month, not it would just not buy one. Sometimes he would buy three or four. Right. And some some people in the evenings are struggling to sell one suit, maybe two, three. And that's if you sold two, it's like, woo, like, you know, big high five. And here I'm selling two or three plus the accessories, which is on top of that. And it's because we had a relationship. And so did I develop the, the number dollar per hour? Yeah, but I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for that trusted relationship that he was really banking on that was convenient for him. And I had a number of those. And they kept coming back. They kept coming back asking for me. And, you know, that is a sense of satisfaction for me that they trusted me with that decision. And so if I suggested, you know, why don't you buy this extra belt? This will go well. They'd say, sure, Sunil, if you're saying that mentally, I'll, I'll go with it because they know that I've got that trusted. I'm not looking for a spiff for an extra 10 bucks. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's what happens when you, you have an extra percentage. It was commission based, but that's not what I was looking for. I was really truly looking there to to satisfy my client. Right. 
What and, kind of, and I love what you like, you know, I had to say, but like, that's amazing, right? That's clientele. You know, you're, you're creating a connection with someone that's over, that's anything, right? You can connection yeah. with sales, creating a connection with someone off campus. You know, even when you're looking for friends, you know, you guys have that connection. You make yes. friends based on your mutual connections and someone that's willing to help you for the sake of just helping you, not yeah. because they're benefiting something. Because if some, if you're going to be friends with someone, just because, you know, they're going to benefit you. I'm telling you right now, that friendship's not going to last. That's done. That's going to, that's going to, he's going to realize what you're doing and you're going to lose a great person just because of the fact that you were selfish, right? That never lasts. I just want to know, you know, what kind of advice would you give to someone? Doesn't matter what age they are, if they're uh, on how they can capitalize on their intuition. So the first thing that they need to do is really take a deep dive into figuring out what it is. Right. And so I've got, there's a seven day challenge, which is free. Uh, on on my intuitionology.com website. And I'll tell you what the, what you learn in that seven-day challenge. You learn about what your intuition, the basics of intuition is. So what happens is you start with a problem at the, the day one and you take a problem that hasn't been solved. And so this is very, very important to do this first because what happens is, what, yeah, and there's a free PDF that comes down with the worksheet. You can fill online or download it and print it off and spill it in. And so when you list a problem that you hadn't solved. You list the steps that you tried before that you didn't solve. And so what happens now is, is I ask you to say, what did it feel like in the moment? Because remember, your intuition hits the amygdala. It's all feeling based. So that gives you the first batch of your negative signal. And so what are those negative signals? I had one CEO talk about his left earlobe getting hot, right? So these are very, very unique signals. And you got to really pay attention and write down what those negative signals are. Because the next step is, okay, how are you going to actually solve this problem? And so when you put the steps that you're solving, and let's say you emotionally put in a step that you kind of want to force in there for whatever reason, your negative signal that you've already done homework on is going to come up and say, ah, 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 Sunil, come on now. And so then you know that your negative signal is saying, take that process, that, that, that piece out. And then what you're left with is all the steps that you need that you need to take. The next thing you do is to figure out, okay, who's going to help you solve that? And it could be a mentor, it could be somebody outside, it could be a distant friend or your best friend. But if you try and force feed your best friend in there because it's cool and sexy, you're doing a seven-day challenge, look at me, ego stroke, another negative signal is going to say, Hassan, come on, right? You know that that person has no value when it comes to this particular problem. I'm not saying has any value, period. I'm saying for that problem you identified, he or she cannot solve that. And then where do you need to change in terms of your environment? And then the next step is taking action. And so one of the other things they do in that 70 challenge, I actually measure your intuition from the start to the finish uh, on a percentage basis. And I've had now over, we've just crossed 50,000 people through the 70 challenge wow. uh, a couple of days ago. And so Congratulations. Every, uh, thank you. And hundred percent of the time, your, their intuition has always gone up. And on top of that, I've got two people that actually go through each of the tasks with you. One of them is John Harris. He actually sold his house in that seven day period. And so that day one, he had this uh, realtor come in and threw her card in his face and said, you're only going to get $20,000 under asking price. I'm telling you, I know the market. Here's the contract signed here. And he was a pushover before. And he, he said, if I didn't join this challenge, I would have signed that. And, and he would have gotten 20,000 under asking price. Yet something in his intuition saying, I don't trust this person. And so he continued to, uh, went through all the steps. And on day seven, he had a bidding war and he ended up selling for $50,000 over asking price. Wow. So just in the seven days, he made $70,000, which is an average of about 10 grand. 
And the other person who's uh, I find really interesting is somebody by the name of Ashley Michelle. And Ashley Michelle was a witness to a homicide. Not only was she a witness to a homicide, she actually walked into the apartment after her boyfriend had just killed their best friend in the bathtub. He closes the door behind her, locks it all, puts a knife to her back and says, I'm already going away for one murder. Might as well make it two. You're next. Her intuition watches him and what, she regulates her emotion. And her there's a fourth of, of the four types of intuition. One's called relational intuition. It's watching him to make sure he doesn't get hyper excited. And so he assaults her. He chokes her. Uh, he asks her to clean up the blood. And then there's an intuitive moment that her, her intuition said, you got to run now. It was just perfect timing. And she gets up and she runs and unlocks the door, runs 18 flights of stairs down the apartment and obviously dials 911 and is alive to tell that story. And she used the seven day challenge to deal with her PTSD, depression, and anxiety. It minimized it, didn't get rid of it. But what she learned in the seven days is that she could finally trust people again because her intuition was giving her the permission to live. She can go to the gym because that was the place where she could really emotionally unwind. So she learned a couple of things that in the seven days, she can actually get out of her apartment without looking at who's going to try and get her next. And so I always say that if, if John and Ashley can go through the seven day challenge and solve those types of problems, you have zero excuse for not taking something that's completely free to uh, actually solve your problem. And now the interesting statistic is going to come of all your listeners that are listening. How many actually are going to click on that link? That's the, the that's there's the statistic. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited there's to see statistic. too. I'm interested to know who would actually click in and who. This also gives me two advice, right? This yeah. gives me two market research things. You know, you you just suggested a link that can be clickable. Well, yeah. That will be in the description. That easy access to everyone, right? Second, yeah, yeah. second gives me how many people in my audience are actually being attentive. You know, how many people are actually caring to see it take the value from what I'm trying to provide them. You know, this is something that, you know, I can say right now, you know, I'm going to be one of those people. I'm going to be the people in your crowd. Yeah. I'm going to click on the link. I'm going to click on the link, see where, how far I can get, because, you know, I'm trying to learn about my intuition. I'm not guaranteed I'll complete it, but I'm guaranteeing I'm going to try it. You know, trying is one way to do it. You know, just putting my mouth, you know, I've said something, let's put my money where my mouth is. Let's try it. You know, trying is one thing, but I, if I don't complete it, there's a lot of reasons why I didn't complete it. You know, maybe I got bored. Maybe it wasn't for me. Maybe, you know, there's just so many excuses that go with it. Maybe this is the time for me to try something and see if I can see to the end of something, you know, and a course, a course does that, you know, we'll see. And I'm excited. And um, I'm going to, can you email me the link, by the way? I'll, I'll email you the link and I'll make it specific to you as well so that we can actually track uh, how many users actually come, how many times they visit back. So I get a whole bunch of statistics that come with awesome. that link. Uh, so, uh, so when it airs, it'd be interesting to hop on a call a month later to Just look to at see. those stats yeah, to see, course, okay, let's see how many people actually, because a lot of people say they do, and then you get like four people, right? Hmm, that's yeah. kind of revealing. That, no, yeah, exactly. And that's enter- entertaining for me. I, I want to know what, uh, exactly. Let's do that. That would be interesting to see. Yeah, no, I want to thank you, Sunil. Uh, this conversation has been an eye-opener. Uh, really got my intuition bumping. It's uh, <laughs> music. Thank you for listening to Stability Podcast, hosted by Hassan Ashraf. 
All brand new episodes of Stability Podcast are posted on Mondays at 6 p.m. For more news on Stability Podcast, please follow our Instagram at Stability Podcast, our Twitter at Stability underscore pod, and our YouTube channel, which you should subscribe to at Stability Podcast.